You're listening to WDW Tales, a glimpse of the Central Florida theme parks from a cast member's perspective. WDW Tales, behind the name tag. And now your host, Justin Stone. Hey everybody, welcome back to WDW Tales. It's been a while since we've talked, but uh, thanks to this quarantine, I have nothing but time. And so what I figured I would do is get uh, one of my old buddies back on the line. We had a really good chat last time and uh, was well received, especially for all the uh, emo kids out there. (laughs) Uh, So I want to bring AJ Locasio back. You may remember him from such such huge and uh, well-renowned projects like Voltron. Uh, on on Netflix, as well as Telltale Games, Back to the Future, where he played Marty McFly. He did a little Marty McFly for us last time. Maybe he'll do it again if I corner him. Anyways, uh, AJ, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Uh, I love that you said for, what was it, about emo uh, emo all, fans? All the emo kids. Oh, my gosh. All man. the emo kids. That's funny. Not that there's anything wrong with the emo kids. I, oh, yeah. I was definitely one in high school. <laughs> You uh, you definitely have a uh, cult following, I'd say. It's it's pretty. It's it's yeah. It's it's a very. Um, it's basically everyone I hung out with in I feel like high school. I have a following of people that are versions of me in high school. Very emotional, sort of pseudo goth Disney fans. Uh, it's kind of great. It's kind really? of amazing. Really, <laughs> one's very sweet and very like empathetic. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> That's, you know, you know what it's. It is what it is. We're all our own people. So, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I, I don't, I assume you're quarantined as well in LA, right? Yep, yep, yep. It's weird. There's, uh, so everything just keeps getting pushed up and up and up or back because of, you know, because of quarantine. Uh, studios don't know what to do with voiceover and stuff. So, I've done one session since the quarantine officially started and I went in, it was like people in hazmat suits and they were, they weren't really, but that's what it felt like where they were spraying everything down and you know, there was, everyone was Skyping in. So, but yeah, everything has been postponed. So it's been very weird. You got to do the thing like, uh, Jack Wagner, you know, the, the monorail guy, the police (laughs) stand floor that he, so he used to, he did so many voiceovers for Disney back in the day. He had a studio built in his house and then it ran the, basically ran the the just like before the internet but the cables were run to the studios so oh he, yeah yeah yeah. The, what is it called isdn or there's a there's a name for it it's not it's something that we're all looking into all the agents and everything are kind of panicking going oh, everyone's got to have a home setup so i do thankfully and i've recorded some games here but i'm always a little you know i'm not an audio professional so I'm a little hesitant, but I certainly will. I'll stand here and go, please stand clear of the doors. <laughs> I, I wish I could actually say it in Spanish. I'm so, I butcher it. And I'm probably saying like apple crabs, you know, chicken foot or something. I'm, uh, I have no idea what the actual Spanish is. I think that's actually what they say is apple crabs, chicken foot. Apple crabs, chicken foot. Yeah. <laughs> Just for our do. Spanish friends out here. Remember <laughs> apple crab, chicken foot. That's why everybody's giggling. Oh, makes yeah. Sense. It's a little in joke. For sure. What's been what's it been like in L.A.? Like I've got friends in the business. I have a lot of friends who are grips and uh, techs, post production, all that stuff, and they are like, "There's no work to be had. It's everything is shut down." Is that right? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, people are so 
you know, when you're on a film set, you're just breathing on people and everybody's bumping into each other and everything's communal. And so it's everything's come to a grinding halt, except voiceover. I mean, people are animation and voiceover are trying to figure it out because you can animate and do that stuff remotely. Same with video games. So it's definitely put us put brought things to a screeching halt, but there are ways around it. But I know live action stuff has just completely stopped dead in the water. So it's been weird. But um, yeah, like I've been doing some motion capture projects over the last year or so. And those they're just like, we don't know. Maybe we'll see you in May. Maybe we won't. So it's it's been very weird. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it does. But it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, I try to just go like, all right, well, this is, you know, this is an experience. You know, every generation has to go through something. I mean, there's, you know, you talk to your your parents, or your grandparents, it's like they went through world wars and, you know, oh. Vietnam, and the depression and stuff. And it's like, all right, yeah, you know, we, we, uh, we get to experience some of our own weirdness. You know, I thought, uh, I'm a huge Cubs fan being from Chicago and, uh, seeing the Cubs win the world series, I was like, that's it. <laughs> That's, that's the thing. And then last year, like Aunt Becky went to jail for so. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I was like living in a weird timeline. Aunt <laughs> Becky went to jail. Bill Cosby's a nightmare human being. Like all these things that have yeah, it's very bizarre. We're living in a very strange alternate reality. Seriously, it's like concentrated, like or that, or just there are so many weird things back in our parents' days too that they just focus on the big stuff. But f- every day is like big stuff, right? Yeah. Donald Trump, the guy from Home Alone, too, that's like, oh, it's right down the hall is our president now. Like we watched Home Alone uh, this Christmas and and it's always like this weird reminder where it's like, oh, yeah, that something that was just a funny little joke, you know, 25 years ago is like an actual serious thing. Now, it's very weird. We're living in a very surreal time. it, It really is. The other thing and then we'll get into the topics is the Simpsons really have predicted almost all of this. It's horrifying. It's terrifying how prophetic they are. It's it's like deeply scary, the things that you see. Like, look, The Simpsons predicted this. And it's like, they don't... Have they just done so many episodes where it's the idea of... What is the thing about, like, if you have enough monkeys at a typewriter, they'll write the full works of Shakespeare? Mm-hmm. Like, right. maybe they're at that point where they've just done so much. They And they've, they've just scraped the barrel as low as they can. And they said, let's, let's, let's say Disney acquires Fox. <laughs> okay. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing. It is... Uh, surreal yeah yeah anyways yeah. it's the same here in seattle i mean we're like ground zero so we hit it hit us two weeks earlier than everybody else so it's kind of weird that we've i think assimilated to the new normal a little faster right right like, yeah it's if people are in denial out here where they're like ah it's not gonna be like there's a i have a friend who has a wedding in like two or three weeks and it's like it's just very weird because they're like do we do we pull the trigger? And I'm like, um, it's it's very scary. It's very weird to think these things that you planned, you know, years ago or whatever. Are now, like, you have to suddenly everything just needs to stop. Yep. It's it's very weird, but you know, necessary. We're doing it for the the uh, you know the health of everyone in the world. It's very weird. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. All right. Enough of this Too quarantine much. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Can I say shit? Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I just did. Yeah. Um, the we have very low standards here. Don't worry. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naked, actually, right now. I have no clothes on. Perfect. Uh, yeah. So somewhat related. Uh, it's funny because I, you know, as you also follow people on social media, there's a, a lot of imagery and conversation around the parks being empty. Like the resorts are right. empty. The theme parks are empty. And uh, I keep looking at these pictures of, you know, either airplanes flying over 
and uh, and showing the parks. And it it doesn't really sink in with me. And I think that's because I I, I stated this on social is because working at the theme parks, you you go in when it's empty, you leave when it's empty. I was there for nine eleven, that was empty. So it was. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, it's yeah, it makes total sense. But some people are like, oh my god. You know the world is ending when Disney closes its parks. Yeah, it's it does. I mean, it makes me think of you've seen Nara Dreamland. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, like it feels like that. I think to people who haven't, you know, been in the parks while it's closed, it is. It feels very apocalyptic. But as a kid, we always used to when we would go to the the parks, we would make sure to get the latest reservation so that we could stay in the park for a little bit afterwards and oh, sort right. of get to experience it solo, which was you know surreal but beautiful like the parks when they're empty is really something um i'm wondering the thing i was thinking about the other day i was like half between awake and asleep is if the music's still playing right now i would guess it probably doesn't so yeah you but i know that it plays all night when they're you know doing maintenance and stuff right no it it, i mean when it doesn't no no so funny thing when i was a little kid and i would talk to my brothers and i'd be like oh this is so cool i wonder what it would be like if I was the only one here, do they shut down the rides? And I distinctly remember my brother saying, oh, uh, it would be too expensive and hard for them to shut it down and then turn it back on because it takes so much to run the attraction. Right, right, right. And I always believed that until I started working there. And like the minute the guests are out, stuff shuts off. It's like, it's literally yeah. like a, like a show ends, like the house lights come up and the, all the atmosphere turns off. Unless there's like an event or there's like something, it's a downtime, like an hour downtime and then something else starts back up. But if, if it's closed for the night, we shut it off. That's good to know. That'd be weird to just, I, some guy hitting a button all night, sending Indiana Jones cars through the ride. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, well, I know that wouldn't be the case, but that's kind of what it sounds like. It's too expensive to stop it. We have to just hire people to run the ride. But like I, yeah, my girlfriend worked there for, a while on the Indiana Jones ride and Jungle Cruise, and she was like, "Yeah, it shuts down." She had to walk the track. That blows my mind mm-hmm. that you got to walk the tracks. Yeah. Like as a cast member, you have to go do that. Like that would be terrifying and magical. No, it's awesome. Except when the- I-, I never minded it. I minded it at night. It's in the morning when I would like work Journey to Imagination or Horizons or even Movie Ride when there's all these human figures just staring at you and i'm just waiting for them to come to life and oh, I, absolutely. I know they're not but it's a it was very surreal experience for oh, sure and i would just want to run through the alien uh the nostromo set with like a with like a nerf gun like i would yeah <laughs> i mean it would be terrifying because it's like you, you know you're on the nostromo but it's such a beautiful set mm-hmm. or was r.i.p oh man there used to be a so in the i'll get back to the park being closed for a second but at at the ride there used to be these um magnets in the ground they're called roadbed sensors and as the vehicle went over it it triggered the roadbed sensor which triggered the animation for the Mm. scene to start so it would be totally dead and all you would hear is like the music um like the hiss uh, and the steam of uh, but you wouldn't hear like mother's voice you wouldn't the alien wouldn't come down right but but maintenance had this it looked like a golf club and on the bottom was a magnet and they'd walk by and sometimes they'd have to trigger it and so you would be there'd be no vehicle in sight and all of a sudden the animation would start and you'd freak out oh man <laughs> that's terrifying was doing their test yeah wow was, that's great 
I was going to say going back to the empty park. So when I was at Universal, I worked, uh, as you know, in the recording studio. And uh, all the music for Universal Orlando, the park specifically, all the different lands, Hollywood, New York Street, uh, uh, used to call it International Bazaar, where The Simpsons is, it's all run out of one central location. And all the background music is played off of uh, CDs. And they're just on repeat. And uh, when I had to cut that music, they basically are on different channels. So if you would imagine one CD has the background music for New York Street and for Hollywood. And all it does is the players are mono channel. So the left channel is New York. The right channel is is uh, uh, Hollywood. <clears throat> but if you listen to the CD in your car, in your car stereo, you hear both of those tracks at the same time. <laughs> So sometimes you they'd be flipping out the CDs and we'd I'd be working like a late shift, either setting up Christmas or something like that. And all of a sudden we'd be in New York Street and you'd hear like the Men in Black music or you would be in Hollywood and you'd hear the New York Street music. It'd totally throw you off because they're they're messing with the CDs and they're they're trying to get the levels right. But all of a sudden you're just totally thrown from what you're used to hearing in one spot to be in another. And you're just like, wait, what? That's crazy. What a um, weird system. Yeah, it's just an easy way for them to. It's actually really old. I think it's the like original system. It's just racks of CD players, and then huh. it goes into a board. But oh, even at Epcot, actually, I had friends that used to work at what they called Central. Okay. And Central was where all the. It's like the Magic Kingdom, where Magic Kingdom has DAX, which all the ride music and the animation is all in one central location, versus being at the ride. It's like this, you know, in the center of the park, underneath in the Utilidor. It's like this, like, you know, you have to have like three different IDs to get into, handprint, whatever. But you could go into that or to Epcot and you could hit a button and listen to like Figment doing his thing or listen to Ellen's Energy Adventure or listen to World of Motion right there. Because it was basically, that's where the ride was running for the most part weird what a weird setup and system it's like so you could slip a britney spears cd in there or something or like how fired would you be if you tried to do something like that uh pretty much but for, <laughs> for disney it ran they were like the first to run off it used to be like 16 inch reel-to-reel tape and oh, wow. then it they moved it to hard disk way before like solid state was a thing they were right, way right. in front of it but anyways so the park's empty it's i think it's cool i mean what's weird to me is like the whole resort is empty like the the hotels yeah that's crazy it was that man i would love to just walk through there right like i, I love the uh, abandoned malls you ever watch that on <laughs> oh, youtube oh yeah for sure yeah like to just to kind of get to experience the surreal apocalyptic zombie land experience of getting to go through all the parks in the daytime with no one around would be very very weird and especially the hotels like yeah Going through the Grand Floridian with no one around would feel like you were walking into like a 1940s, like speakeasy abandoned. I don't know. There would be something really creepy about a lot of those spaces. Dude, I was going to say the exact same thing for the Grand Floridian. Like imagine walking through the Grand Floridian at 10 o'clock at night, like the music is still playing. You like there's... The Shining, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, and man. With no one there, this is like, you know, the big open atrium. So like the music is echoing, kind of like Terror, yep. Tower of Terror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe that I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. I would so, I would dig that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Just wear a gas mask and some gloves and you're good to go. <laughs> We're young. 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's some guy driving around the parks now and he's like harassing security guards. And he's doing it just for the social accolade. Oh, really? But yeah, there's someone that's out there. Oh man, there's yeah. a lot of weird Disney. Like I'm blown away by like the Buzzy situation. I'm I'm sure you're well aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he that that whole thing, like that guy who posted videos about it and like the audacity to steal an animatronic allegedly. Uh, I don't know if he was convicted. I know he stole the clothing, but uh, and then be posting about it like pictures and stuff is yeah. wow. That the dude's... fact that people do anything for, uh, you know, a few likes. It's really weird. And uh, I think, I don't think he stole the animatronic. Definitely the clothes. But the, yeah, it's just, is it necessary? Like, it, it's such, <laughs> Disney fandom is such just a weird, just a weird thing. Because every time you think, like, yo, no, I'm not part of that. But you feel yourself kind of pulled into it. And then you're like, wait, I gotta, wh- to which degree am I in this? <laughs> And yeah. is that the right degree to be in it? Well, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I find myself, I'm pretty deep in it when it comes to, but very, like, I'm not one of those people that has, like, I won't collect every Funko Pop of a character, but, like, I've seen and absorbed every, like, expedition theme park and, like, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Yesterworld and, like, mm-hmm. all those. Uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with the history of the parks. Like, that's something that I'm constant. like, I know more about that than almost anything else. And it's like, that's a very specific kind of fandom. Yep. But that's what's so great about the Disney fandom is you can find a pocket that you're obsessed <laughs> with. Like, I know everything you possibly know about, like, Haunted Mansion, uh-huh. you know, and there are people who that's their thing. They don't care about anything else, but anything related to Haunted Mansion, they're obsessed with, you know. And it's, uh, it's, it's a very rich fandom that can go in the, very, you know, the extreme ends can be terrifying. Like, uh-huh. that guy stealing the buzzy stuff is like, what? What is this? It's very weird. I uh, I agree with you in that you can kind of pick out what you want and you can find the right audience um, because I I'm not a big Disney movie person I I there there's select ones the Rocketeer Pete's Dragon the original uh, ones like that um, I like the parks I've always liked the parks more and the stories behind the rides at the parks like I don't care if the characters ever have only until my first son was born did we really do any character thing oh i i dated a lot of girls who were characters back then oh so jealous that's my (laughs) dream i went out with one disney princess and it was the highlight of my life it was every it was it did not go the way i thought it would but uh it was that that was as a kid i was like i want to date a disney princess (laughs) like that was my like life goal uh i'm very jealous it's yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Then as I got older, I realized how what an absurd situation that is. Like you know, to to want to date someone because of their because I don't know because they played Belle is very <laughs> hilarious. It uh, yeah, I, I just you know from experience. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the parks are closed. When's the last time you went to the park? Uh, hmm. I want to say like. Oh, God, when was it, like November maybe or October? Uh, it's been a little while. Like, I have an annual pass, but it, it depends on one of my friends just moved back, and he was the guy that I would go to the parks with. So, And he's been busy, just got a new dog and stuff. So, like, we just haven't been able to go, and then all this crap went down. So it's not going to be for a little while. But, yeah, it, I think last time I went was maybe October. So you had a chance to check out Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I've been six times. Wow. So uh, yeah. Overall thought Disneyland, right? Yeah, 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 the Disneyland one. 
Yeah, because I've only been to the world one. I just went in January. But uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's weird. I have such weird. It, it's insane. Like it's an insane experience. So my girlfriend painted a lot of the facades there, like a lot of the rock work and stuff, which was so I was well, you know, into it long before anyone else had seen any photos or anything. So it was like this was like a like two years of just like, all right, Star Wars land. So I kind of was not over it, but I knew so much about it by the time it was out. And um, so it was kind of surreal. Like when I went there, I was there mostly because I was like, oh, my God, I get to see all the things my girlfriend painted. And um, so I had a bit of a skewed perspective on it because I was there to look at the rock work. Not that I'm not a huge like I wanted to see the Millennium Falcon and everything, but like I had a slightly strange um, ulterior motive. But anyway, um, it's insane. Like the detail is nuts. Like go, going up to like the land speeder and all that stuff is by far the most mind blowing aspects of the entire thing. Like if you love it or hate it, you cannot deny how brilliant the detail is. Like the robots and everything, or the droids like hanging out and their little movements is, is genius. Um, my one complaint, like I, I'm a huge John Williams fan mm -hmm. and the fact that there aren't any, there isn't any soundtrack throughout the park is the one thing that I wish someone would be like, you know what, it's okay if it's not realistic. Like, I want to feel that sort of warm, magical, uh, twinkly John Williams music throughout mm -hmm. the land. Like, that's the one thing that I felt like was missing. But overall, it was, I mean, it's an insane experience. Like, the Millennium Falcon, the first time you see that, like, I, like, wanted to throw up. It was so beautiful. You know, <laughs> like, there it is. I used to... As a kid, I, I, I would like make wishes like, you know, you see a shooting star and I'd be like, I wish tomorrow I'll wake up in the Millennium Falcon. I'll be outside my window and it's all mine. You know, like to see it in, you know, in the flesh more or less was uh, it, it, there's nothing like that. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I, it, there's so much to talk about. What do you ask away? I, I, I don't know, man. I, I so I've only been to the one in the world, like I said, and um, I'm not biggest star wars fan in the world i i enjoyed the first three or whatever they are four th five six three four five four five six four five six yeah i, I mean i like those movies and i huge john williams fan like massive massive john williams fan so i appreciated the movies but when i got to the park that part of the park and never mind my my predisposition of how i think the studio should have continued to be Right, like cast aside the whole New York Street and they right, cut, right, right. cut everything down. Because I really wanted to go into it and just be like, forget where I'm at, forget that this is the studios, let's just, just check out the Star Wars thing. And I mean, yeah, it's super detailed. Like I totally get that. But I, I, didn't, I felt like I didn't know enough of all this. this I didn't know all the backstories of all the things and I felt like I, I was at a disadvantage. By walking around and just going like, oh, this bazaar is really cool. And like, oh, the Millennium Falcon, like I get that. And, and uh, like the rides are neat. But I was just like, okay. Like I, I wasn't, it wasn't to me like a rope drop thing. Mm, interesting. And I think it's just because I, and this has been my, my kind of fear all along is if you're not that into Star Wars, can you aside from the aesthetics, like you appreciate the aesthetics, but can you really enjoy it for what it was developed to be, which is this, you know, taking you into 
these these lands that you should somewhat have a, an understanding of. I, I don't know. that. Interesting. Yeah, that's, you know, I wonder, I feel that way about Avatar, which I think a lot of people mm-hmm. do, because I saw the movie, what, 10, 15 years ago, and I don't have any emotional connection to Avatar. Like, I saw the movie and went, okay, you know, I just kind of forgot. I can't name anyone in the movie, you know, and so I, but friends of mine that have gone to Avatar Land, what's it called, uh, Pandora, mm-hmm. come back and they're just like, holy crap, you know, like, that was, that was an experience, and I have I was, you know, I'm, I I hope that that's how I feel about that land when I finally go. But that's an interesting because most people I know obviously have a strong relationship with Star Wars. Um, like the Millennium Falcon rides really is an interesting experience because the conceit is that Han Solo's dead and then you're flying the Falcon instead of him. Uh-huh. And as a huge Han Solo fan and, you know, it, it's a very weird feeling where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm piloting the Millennium Falcon. But Han Solo's dead. It's a very strange feeling. And uh but man, that ride, that the first time I walked into that cockpit was like, I, it's, that's an impossible feeling to describe for me because it's like, I'm here, I'm in the Millennium Falcon. Like, I know it's just a ride and a screen, but that was a, that was a hell of a moment for me. See, that's the thing. I think, I, I don't know, and I'm probably going to hear multiple sides of this, but is the nostalgia factor greater than the current story? Like, cause I would probably feel a little bit different or more, more open to the whole thing. If there, if there was more like, uh, Darth Vader and, and Luke Skywalker and, and Han Solo versus these new characters that I really have no interest in learning. I'm like, oh, right. okay. All right. I know Chewbacca. That's cool. And there's no Admiral Akbar. Like, come on. He's like one of the best characters. So that stuff, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I think like. I think Disney's trying to put a lot of a lot of their eggs into the we'll build the story around you basket. So if you have a an understanding of the old Star Wars, we'll still make it feel like that, but not not lay into that, right? Make it more about the Ren and or Kylo Ren and Ray and and Ren and Stimpy. I don't know who Ren else and they Stimpy. Are, like. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's so tough because it's like you have anything that's that much of a you know, like it would be like making sequels to Back to the Future or Indiana Jones. And, you know, obviously they did, but it's like they were so perfect and of their era. They have such a deep emotional impact on all of us. Like, mm-hmm. even if you're just a passing fan, it's changed our world. You know what I mean? It would be like taking Harry Potter and then being like, hey, we've made three new Harry Potter movies. Ron, Hermione and, you know, and Harry are kind of they're in the background. Mm-hmm. It's about these new ones, Schlebby, Poopy and Doo You know what I mean? And you're like. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. But I've only had like a year or two to get to know these characters. It's a very different feeling. I don't have this deep reverence for them. So it's even if the new movies are absolutely perfect and you love them more than anything, it's still you don't have that mythological reverence that you do for the other ones. It's it's a it's a different feeling. But, you know, that said, it is cool to again, the Millennium Falcon and going to the cantina was really cool. I do. Honestly, if I had. If someone said, hey, do a Star Wars park, how would you do it? I go, okay, we're doing the greatest hits of Star Wars. Like, let's do the cantina. Let's do Moss Eisley cantina. Let's do the Death Star. Let's do, you know, like things that you recognize, like doing mm-hmm. a greatest hits as opposed to, I, I kind of, I feel very weird about like, I love the idea of like, you're in the world. This is a real adventure. Like, this is a place you've never been to. But then you kind of lose the emotional, um, 
thing that's already there. It's already ingrained into you where it's yeah. like, oh, wow, I'm seeing the things that I know already. Like as a fan, I, I'm OK with that kind of fan service. And I wish there was more of that. I feel like maybe there's room to do that eventually. But, you know, they're the first ones to kind of pioneer this outside of Harry Potter. Yeah. But Harry, Harry Potter is that where it's like, hey, we took the thing that, you yeah. know, and we did it. Um, and Doodoo yeah. being the house of Ravenclaw. I don't know if you knew right. that. But, <laughs> but I th- that's the thing is I, I don't know if Harry Potter has more wi- a wider appeal than Star Wars. For some reason, I think it does. I think the connection of Harry Potter to a greater audience is, is bigger than Star Wars. I, I'm probably totally wrong, and I know there are millions of people who would refute that, but you go to Universal and you see all the Harry Potter stuff and the rides actually aren't that good. Like the rides aren't, I can't ride the, uh, the journey through Hogwarts me, or me either. Cause I, I, my girlfriend wrote it and she was like, dude, you cannot, cause I get sick super easily. Like I'll go in an elevator and need to puke. Same like, with and me. So, so my wife has to yeah. go do it and I just, I sit there and wait and but, child swap like a fool. Yeah. I do the same thing. I'm just sitting there alone with a bunch of children. Yeah. Like the stay at home dad. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> my point, uh, my point is, is I can go, even if I don't ride the rides and, and even if I haven't seen all the movies, you get that sense of like, you know, the John Williams music is playing there are people walking around in costumes, but it's not, it's not thrust upon you. Like, how do you not know this? How do you not know that the sorting hat picks whatever? How do you not know that the wand picks you, whatever? You just and just kind of drink it in. But with Star Wars, it just feels like, I don't know, it kind of feels a little Mad Max to me. It feels a little <laughs> bit like, you know, I, I just... But, There's such a huge difference, though. I think that that's actually... You know what's funny is I've never compared it in that way. I've thought like oh, I like the idea that you get to go to Dying an Alley and all that stuff, but I've never thought about the actual feeling you get from the fandom or the or the, the world. Like, Harry Potter still exists in our world. It's just a much more magical version of it. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea of going to a castle and all that stuff and these beautiful, wonderful, like, pastry shops and things like that are things that we like in our real world. Like, I w- you can go visit a castle in the real world or you can go to a pastry shop, but this is, like, a slightly skewed, cozier version of it. And I think the world is much more inviting, whereas... If someone said to me, would you rather go to, you know, Hogwarts or Star Wars world? They'd be like, yeah, Hogwarts. Why mm-hmm. Star Wars? I might get murdered, you know, like or, or shot. Or It's such a violent war torn world uh-huh. that it doesn't have the inherent coziness That's of Harry Potter. That's a really like, interesting thought. Yeah. And it's and it's also the music. I mean, if music to me is such a big thing, like I put on those ambient. I don't know if you've found those on, on YouTube. They have ambient playlists where it's like someone has animated like Gryffindor common room or Hogwarts and it's snowing and they're just playing the, the music from the mm-hmm. film, a really calm version of it. Universal has that on lockdown. Like they got like a, and Disneyland or Disney always does, but for some reason in star Wars, they decided not to. So you lose that sort of twinkly magical quality that, you know, if you just, if you're sitting in a silent room versus putting on one of those soundtracks, it completely emotionally transforms the space and it, that's the, I think there's that is one of the big pulls for me is when you're eating in the one of the Hogwarts restaurants, they're always playing that soundtrack and mm-hmm. you feel like, man, things are magical. But in Harry Potter or uh, Star Wars, it's just kind of droid noises and stuff. And it's like, oh, interesting. You know, like this much more hardcore, like you said, Mad Max, where it's like tinkering and buzzing and yeah. things that are like, you know, industrial. But that's the thing, man. Like <clears throat> when I when I visit uh the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and both Universal and Islands of Adventure, 
I, I know I'm still in the studios. Like I know that this is put on as a, uh, as, as a illustration of the movies. When I did the star Wars thing, I, I felt like, no, like you literally are transferred, you know, transported to Batu or whatever. And you know, everyone's like, Gerd Merling peen or whatever they say, a bright <laughs> or whatever. Gerd Merling peen. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what they say. And I, <laughs> I think that's from 30 rock. And, um, <laughs> I'm just like, am I at the studios? Am I not at the studios? Is this, I mean, I, I overanalyze things to a degree to which many probably don't. Um, I do as well, <laughs> which is why I have these thoughts on this stuff. It's, right. it's, yeah. That's why I like talking to you. <laughs> I don't seem so crazy, but like to the average guests, they're probably like, no, you know, where's the turkey leg? But, <laughs> right. but you, you, you kind of do this step from, whatever MGM or whatever Hollywood studios is now, it's certainly not a park about movies to this design, you know, this manifestation of star Wars. So you're like, how am I supposed to like, are these people really, these cast members really thinking that they're on this Island or on this, this land versus, I don't know. So I just, I aesthetically, I thought it was really neat. I like seeing like, uh, like the X-Wing fighter and uh, Millennium Falcon. Like that's, that's really, really cool. And I appreciate the detail, but I'm just, uh, I don't know. Did you have a chance to ride um, Rise of the Resistance? No, not yet. I mean, I've watched ride throughs because I was skeptical as to whether or not I'd vomit on it. And uh, it looks a little intense for me, not going to lie. I, uh, I'm a little cautious, but I want to really badly. Um, it looks amazing. Like it looks like kind of like the Spider-Man ride. Yeah. Uh, but they've kind of upped the ante. Yeah. I will, I won't give it away, but, um, uh, I wrote it, we wrote it in January and we have a friend who works, uh, in management at the park and they were like, yeah, just come walk on. So we didn't have to wait or anything like that. Oh, that's awesome. VIP. (laughs) It was, um, anyways, so I mean the, what I really appreciated out of the whole thing was the technological aspect of it, the engineering of it. It's just, and some of the, even the the more traditional magical tricks and illusions to trick your right. eye. It's a really nice blend of like the old school tricks and then the new tricks were like, you know, your, your vehicle kind of changes a bunch of different directions and it, it doesn't do the same thing that the people next to you see. And, I'm really trying not to give it away, any of it. I mean, I've watched a couple ride-throughs, but I understand if people listening don't want to, yeah. yeah. But I, when I got off, and also the thing about like how you're, the first part of the ride is the transport with the simulator, and then you get to the next part. Like That's really, that's really cool. That's yeah. just really smart. Like it's, yeah. It just makes you feel like you're getting your money's worth. But again, like I'm, I lost so much in the story. And I'm like, am I supposed to know this? I, I, uh, I don't know. I like, I know that guy from the movie and it all felt very much like if you don't know what's going on, then you're, you may not appreciate, appreciate it as much as say someone who like lives and breathes the movies or even have seen the movies, but right. engineering wise, it is, uh, it was, it was really spectacular, but I would never, I'd never get up at six o'clock in the morning to go to the to go try and get the boarding pass oh no it wouldn't seem that way to me i would rather if i had my choice between that 
and doing like a Thunder Mountain or Space Mountain or even like a, I don't know, like if a movie ride were still around, not to bring the movie ride into this, but I know. So sad. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I would go because I just got off and even my wife who was like not seen any Star Wars and she was like, because we had our son, so we had to go individually, which was good because we could just, you know, experience it ourselves. But she came off and she was like, all right. That was cool. That's interesting. I, it really depends. I think so much of this is hinges on what we are emotionally attracted to or what resonates with us. Like I'm not, I feel a strange emotional connection to like even the Spider-Man ride. I'm such a big Spider-Man fan. And to hear like the Spider-Man, Spider, mm-hmm. like theme at the end playing yeah. and like, wow, I just want an adventure with Spider-Man. Like that sort of gets me or, you know, the great movie ride, that montage at the end, like was like, God, I love movies. Like yeah. it feels it gets you riled up in a way that I think is is not something everyone's looking to invest in. I don't yeah. think that, you know, even something as silly as the wishes parade or the, you know, the um, the millennium celebration. Like when you're walking through Epcot and I've seen the photos of you drumming, um, that's, you know, I know. So I know, you know, that was you, right? That has the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You feel something in your gut and in your heart that you can't describe. It's this desire to sort of like run. You know, this feeling of like, I could do anything, you know, like, and it's, um, I, you know, I don't, there's a part in the great movie ride, uh, where they play the star Wars theme Uh and it's just that really exciting, you know, John Williams triumphant, you know, like I've forgotten how much I hate space travel. And it's, uh, it gets under your skin and gets your blood boiling in a, in a good way. And I, you know, I, I don't feel that with a lot of modern rides and it, it, it just depends on what they're going for. I think people are so obsessed with the tech and all that kind of stuff that you lose a lot of the triumphant um, feeling of, oh my God, that's why I love this. Yeah. And um, I got a little bit of that in a way on, um, that's why I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of different overlays they do with the Millennium Falcon. Cause I know it was tied to solo, which is not something I have any real personal connection with. And so, you know, I don't know who Honda Anaka is. I, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I, I don't know these things. So to see if they do something like, hey, you're on Hoth and you're, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're it's in the old, like, I feel like that would really get me um, to hear the soundtrack because the soundtrack does play in it. And like you could hear Chewie and yeah. stuff like I feel like those kinds of things would make me go, oh, my God, that's right. I love this. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about the Rise of Resistance other than what I've seen. And I don't I'm not afraid of Kylo Ren, whereas I find Darth Vader terrifying, uh-huh. you know, like I'm like, yeah, he's just some emo kid who like really <laughs> wants to get kissed. Like, you know, like it's. I don't, it's a very different emotional experience. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head a couple of things, but first of all, solo, that's the one with childish Gambino, right? Yes. Okay. Who, who I think did a good job. I think he <laughs> is probably the, I wish, sorry, not to go on a tangent, but mm-hmm. like, I wish they had, I love Lando. Lando's might yeah, be my too. favorite star Wars character. And if they did a Lando spinoff, that was like a 70 kick-ass, you know, seventies kick-ass film where it's him just, like hauling ass and taking names, I would have loved that. And you could have brought Han Solo in for a second. And it's like, okay, they, you know, that's how they met. But if it was just Lando, like, I think that would have been a phenomenal movie. That would have been just the title, Lando. You know Lando, I mean? which, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Like, put him in some capes, have him punching people, and yeah. like, oh, man, that'd be so cool. He has a harem, you know, everywhere he goes. Yeah, that's basically what, if you look at the old, like, Lando books and comic yep. books, it's basically that, you know, he's kind of a pimp. Yeah, for sure. So going, <laughs> back, awesome. going back to your original point about the tech, and I've, I've noticed right. this before is I think, and 
I'm just going to say it. I think the creativity at Disney now lies with engineering and technical advancement than less than show writing and creative direction. And it's a blanket statement. And I'm, there are kind of sides to both of those, but I think you're right in that. Like it's just get you on as soon as possible. Wow. You, while we have you like just dazzle you with sight, sound, emotion, and then kick you off. And there's no reason that you need to go talk about it again. Where it used to be some of the old rides where, like, so movie ride, yeah, because, you know, the lights go dim and there are places, everybody, this is a take, quiet on the set. You know, like, it's right. building around you. You're, you're, it's enveloping you in a way you're like, wow, I really could be part of the movies. Or even Tower of Terror, where it's like, here's the story. Here's the whole backstory. And then it takes you into the, the basement and you hear the chains and, and then you, you know, you ride the ride and you think, oh, how does that happen? And then you, even when you walk out and then, and, uh, the atmosphere is still that which kind of keeps you emotionally involved, I guess you could say. Right. I think that's kind of, it's a, it's a direct parallel to movies. You know, like if you look at how sentimental we were with movies in the 50s or 60s and then the 80s and you know like sentimentality is such a big thing back then and so a lot of those people that were writing are coming from that like Frank Capra Spielberg Mm -hmm. you know like they want you to cry or they want you to feel this deep emotional connection Mm -hmm. whereas movies now aren't really concerned with that so much you know the movies are structured differently they're not as worried about character arc and you know and I think it's just you know, I, I do, I work with Disney Imagineering on occasion. So I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I love working with them. Mm-hmm. So I, I being as positive, you know, sure. oh, yeah, <laughs> as absolutely. I can be, but, um, I, I think it's just a, it's a, it's indicative of the era we're in, whereas mm-hmm. it's more about spectacle in many ways than it is about like, did you see that McMillions documentary? No. Okay. So it's a weird example, but there's a thing where they're showing old McDonald's commercial. Is it McDonald's? I, I think it is where, it's like, uh, oh, no, no, no. It was a, I was sorry. I was watching a video about, uh, crap. Now I can't think of what it oh, was. You're watching anyway, a video about crap? I was watching a video about crap. <laughs> um, it was basically like, it was some video where they were talking about, it was like Disney World or McDonald's where it had this really sentimental music where they were just like, wouldn't it be? Oh, I know what it was. It was about the Disney vault. And it was about the, um, it was some like yesteryear or some video where they were mm. saying like, Imagine if your kid grew up without Pinocchio, how sad their childhood would be. And it was all about just making you feel guilty. And they had this like music, like make memories, you know, Mm -hmm, something that if we saw today, we would think it was almost a parody. But I remember watching that stuff as a kid and going, oh, man, you know, it's like wishes or it's like, you know, the Millennium Celebration where our culturally we were we were okay with being sentimental. And um, I think that that's a big thing that we've sort of kind of thought was we think it's cheesy now yeah. whereas we want to see i mean like that spider-man animatronic thing swinging over the campus is one of the most insane things yeah. you know we want spectacle we want to go how did they do that you know as opposed to leaving the great movie ride sobbing you know which yeah. you know is basically how i feel every time we're inspired like right exactly yeah when you walk out to you and you're like i want to i want to do that you know what i mean like even when i was right. uh when i told the story of dozen and a half times my sister opened the ride in 89 and i was 10 no 11 and we we went in like june so the paint was still fresh at the park 
And I ran to the front and I got on the ride and then my sister was there and she was the cowgirl and she was like, Hey, you look like trouble and whatever. And I got off that ride and I wasn't like, I want to work at this ride. I, thankfully I was able to, but I got <laughs> off and I was like, God, movies are so cool. Like, right. Yeah. And I, I absolutely adore movies. I love them, but I don't love what I watch on the screen. I love how they're made. I love if when I was little, actually up to probably to like a month ago, I'd be like, I wish I was the president of movies, all movies. <laughs> I want to walk onto any lot, any soundstage and just watch what's happening. That's the stuff that I love. I don't love yeah. the output of it. I love, I mean, I like people's emotions of the output of it, but to see how that thing is made and to your point earlier about Frank Capra and, and uh, even the uh, Alfred Hitchcock, the way that they pull the strings to get yeah. you to do something. That's why, like, I, I've, I don't watch Marvel movies. I don't need to. There's no reason to watch Marvel movies. I don't, <laughs> I have no emotional hold on any of that because it's just sensationalism. It's effects. Right. It's, there's no character development. There's no story. There's, it's just not for me. So it's a spectrum of, it depends on, you know, there's some more so than others. Like, I think the first Spider Man is fantastic. I like that one a lot. And, uh, but, you know, I will always choose the Sam Raimi Spider-Man over okay. anything because it's it's sappy in a way that I like. You know, watching those movies now, they almost don't hold up because they're so cheesy. But I remember at the time thinking how realistic they were, which is so weird how much we've changed, you know, like it's it, but um, I, to just to talk more to your point about making movies like that's what MGM did so well is they're like, hey, we're pulling back the curtain and this is how a movie is made. And it's this kind of polished beautiful version of what making a film is which is what i thought it would be when i moved out to la and it's not <laughs> uh -huh. but like there are pieces of la that still feel that way like when you go to burbank it is that there's studios and there's like it feels like you know quiet everyone you know like uh -huh. it, it has that vibe to it and, and yeah i felt the same way like the idea of being on a set and seeing like the boards that have things spray painted on the back of them is a very strange magical feeling and i'm much more interested in that than even, you know, being in, in that world than being in the actual film world. You know, mm -hmm. the, the world of Star Wars versus making Star Wars. Like, I'd rather make Star Wars. I, I agree. I think that's why I always, before I got into where I'm currently at, recording studio, you know, building stages, running lights, all the stuff that supported the creation of the story, even some writing. Right. To me, that's the more exciting part than look at me on the screen. I mean, that's would be amazing as with the paycheck, but it's, right, right. it's being able to use the, use what you feel is going to be the most impactful to get somebody to react to something. Right. And yeah. So, uh, and then working with a like-minded group of people to do the same thing in their own disciplines to bring it all together is like, that's the thing. Which yeah. I think is a killer segue into something that you and I spoke off online about, which I think would be kind of fun is just to pick a movie that we love collectively right. <laughs> and see how it holds up today. Yes. Go on. So uh, the, the, this you know, we're just going to riff everybody. It's just, you know, we we're not Cisco and Ebert or anyone like that, but, uh, AJ, I, I think you and I think a lot alike as we've just been talking about, it's pretty evident of how we react to, things in the past and, and how it has affected us and, and uh, how we think of it today. So uh, I picked the Rocketeer. Yes. And this has nothing to do with you 
littering the internet with Rocketeer pictures lately. <laughs> <laughs> Which that coat is dope, by the way. That's a perfect coat. It is. It's funny. So the one that you saw probably in the picture I posted on Instagram is a woman's blazer that I found right before Halloween. It is a leather blazer, and I found this paint, this leather paint, and just matched it and added buttons and stuff to it. So it was this really gnarly blazer that uh, I re-sewed and reconfigured because I was I couldn't find a Rocketeer jacket that looked like the comic. Uh-huh. Like I wanted a very specific look, and so that was like this weird last minute project and it, it holds it pretty well i made it a couple years ago and it's a little tight now but uh <laughs> yeah i love that thing i i saw that and i was like that's the motorcycle jacket i want i have a motorcycle <laughs> and i don't ride it a lot because i'm terrified of falling but uh that's the jacket so it pains me to hear that it's a woman's blazer you found it. <laughs> you know they, i mean people sell really cool uh my buddy uh dan abraham who's a disney animator wears that jacket around when he's you know riding his motorcycle right. and it's he has like a i don't remember if it's wested or indie magnolia like there's a bunch of people out there that sell really good replicas but the problem is i added snap buttons to mine because you it takes forever to mm-hmm. button them up you know like i can't even button my jeans when i have one of those on it that's actually a a point of contention with me in the movie and how fast if you ever watch, look at the movie when he first puts the rocket pack on he's got magic button coat and then it's yep. you know i'm like there's no way he does it that fast yeah he would need like 30 minutes <laughs> like oh what? no yeah. you didn't fit it like or you you put the wrong one on and it's there's it's one up and one you know what i mean yes. like yeah that would be a nightmare yeah i'm calling shenanigans on that okay anyways <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen the rocketeer you need to. It's uh, 1991. Yeah, it's one a time that I think Disney Studios was just totally killing it, even though they weren't. Yeah, they were kind yeah. of not doing so hot. But that's getting back to the point of inspiration and in hardcore storytelling. I think this is the time when they were doing it. But if you haven't seen it, it's set in Los Angeles, 1938. There's Cliff Secord. He's a pilot, uh, down on his luck pilot, and. Uh, a uh, rocket pack designed by Howard Hughes was stolen from his factory and Cliff found it and Cliff decided to be a, a superhero and fight the Nazis. So this thing is as pulp comic-y as it can be. Uh, the other great thing is the score was by James Horner, who is amazing. Incredible, no, incredible. Yeah. I listen to it probably daily. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Who, You know, he unfortunately died in a plane crash. I know. That's Yeah, so that's it's all... Yeah, it's really awful and very ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just thought we could throw out a couple of things like uh, what we liked about the movie, what we didn't like about the movie. But what uh, the biggest thing that stands out for me today is how poorly it's aged <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the effects department. Thankfully, the story somewhat carries, but uh, and there's going to be total spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, sh- shut this off or. I mean, the movie's, what, 20, 30 years old, so... 30 years old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost. I think it's, like, 29 years yeah. old. So uh, I don't feel that bad. But <laughs> I, you're looking at the effects, and the effects are just... Like, there's a part where they're in the South Seas Club, and there's a big battle that yeah. ensues, and Cliff Secord, as the Rocketeer, gets on this ice sculpture, and he it's slides hands in down. Worst part of the movie. I'm, yeah, it is. That's the part when people say there is that one scene. I'm like, I know which scene it was. Yep. Apparently, they ran out of money and they had a big thing they were gonna do. And they're like, I don't know, just swing them around on a rope because that's how it feels. It feels like they're literally just like, like you know, when you see it, watch a movie and there's a stage play that goes wrong and someone just starts swinging into the the furniture or the the scenery. Like that's what that scene feels like. 
It's like, put them on a rope, swing them around, and then we'll move on to the next scene. It's a, <laughs> it's not a good action scene at all. But no. sorry, you're talking about the ice sculpt. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's the whole thing is just so, but it feels so like touchstone Disney. Just the way it's shot and the way it's edited, yeah. it just feels like at that time. But uh, I want to go into a couple other pieces. But I want to, I want to hear from you why you love that movie so much because i love it because i just love the story and i love pulp comics and this is just has a nice ending you know and it's got it's got all the things that make that pulp pulp comic uh feel you know it's got the bad guy and the damsel in distress and then the you know down on luck down as luck uh hero and and whatever but but what's what's your thought on the movie it's weird i you know there's definitely something to the idea of when you're at like three or four years old or you know there's like a certain age range between that and like 12 or 13 where things deeply impact you and i was i think four when the movie came out and i saw it in theaters and was obsessed with the stuff like i wanted his helmet so bad Mm -hmm. and i wanted like the jet pack and the jacket and i just there was something about it the aesthetic of it the colors the sound that was like nothing I'd ever seen. I mean, by that age, age, I was a huge Indiana Jones fan already. So, like, it, it fit right in with that love. And I remember, like, I had, I think the only thing I owned from that movie, like, I didn't even have the VHS, was the cup from uh, Pizza Hut. Oh, right, yeah. And I have, I still, like, I associate certain movies to Pizza Hut, and that's one of them. Like, Fern Gully and Casper <laughs> and then that movie. Like, they had a really cool cup that came with like a pizza box with a picture of the Rocketeer on it. And like, I don't know, it just was, there was something about it. Like that helmet to me is one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. designs, you know, and, and like Boba Fett where you look at it and you just go, I want it. I want to be it. I want to be around it. Like I will never get tired of looking at it. And so I think it started with that. In addition to like, here's this young scrappy guy who's got a really hot girlfriend and you know, he flies planes and he's not afraid of things. And, he doesn't have these special powers that I couldn't obtain. Like, mm-hmm. he can fly a plane, which I can't do, but at the time, as a kid, I was like, yeah, maybe one day I'll learn. But, like, it just, it hits that exact note that I feel like early MGM Studios did, where yep. it's all about nostalgia and that sort of golden light where everything's sort of painted in these desert colors, and it's very glamorous, but in a sort of male way, which is a weird way to say yeah. it, but, like, you know, like, there's kind of a... Uh, like Clark Gable or Humphrey Bogart, or there's kind of that tough, rough and tough, like Indiana Jones is like male Hollywood glamour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's it's otherworldly and um, and of a time and era that never really existed. Um, you know, it's kind of like our idealism of the 50s where it's like leave it to beaver and stuff. Like, you know, people weren't really living like that, but we like to paint things in those colors. And that movie feels like that to me where it's an idealized version of that era. And so that was a very weird answer, but... I kind of not forgot about the movie, but it just kind of sat on the back burner for like a while. And something about when I moved out to L.A., I just kind of rediscovered it. I was in my early 20s and I was like, man, I love that movie as a kid. Like I just started doing research on the replica prop form, the RPF, mm-hmm. and saw that someone was selling a Rocketeer helmet. And I was like, you know, what? I-, I got a little bit of money. I'll buy one of those. <laughs> And so I did, and I kind of got this itch where it like made me obsessed with the movie again. And um, I I don't know, I just in my I was kind of of the age of Cliff Secord, and I just kind of absorbed it in a way that I hadn't as a child. And I just kind of became re obsessed with it and the production and 
everything about it. It makes me feel a way that very few movies do, where it's mm-hmm. optimistic and it's beautiful and the score is insane. You know, like the score is one of the best scores that I own. You yeah. know, I, it's one of my favorite things ever. It's so triumphant. And, you know, I think the thing about it is it's an optimistic gee whiz kind of movie where it's like, yeah, it's very sweet and fun. Um, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> I uh, You touched on something that I... I think as well. Uh, I love period pieces. I love period pieces about Hollywood for some reason. Like, I do too. Like this yeah, and absolutely. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh my God. Yeah, same, cut from the same cloth. Exactly, and, uh, yeah. Dick Tracy in a mm-hmm. weird, horrible way, but yes. And I, I do like the whole triumphs of it all, that uh, you don't have to have anything special. Yeah. You know, to to make this happen. But it's, it's so funny too, because this going back to pulp comics this movie and the big problem i have with it is it doesn't know where to lean into full pulp or full fantasy or then it brings you tries to make it more like oh this could actually happen type of thing so for instance uh first of all first of all the guy's got a rocket on his back yeah. and and uh you know, Nazis come out of nowhere at the end at the Griffith Observatory. All these Nazis all of a sudden in Los Angeles. And Ridiculous. I love it. Then a Zeppelin shows up. But then in the same sense, it's like it doesn't go far enough to keep it there. Like the the parts that I can't stand are any time where uh, Neville Sinclair is in it or um, <laughs> what's her name? Phoebe Cates. Not Phoebe Cates. Uh, I can't oh, um, wow. Now you made me forget her name. Uh, oh. I say her name. Almost daily. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Uh, what's her name? What's her name? Uh, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Anytime the two of them are doing a scene, it just grinds to a standstill. <laughs> I like them together. Do I think you they're really? cute together. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I do agree with you on the Neville Sinclair thing. Like I, so I had a weird ex- when I rewatched it in the when I, in my early twenties, I was kind of like, man, that kind of was weird. Like I had a weird. I had, you know, I was just sitting in front of my computer. I played it on DVD and I was like, man, that was especially, I thought uh, Timothy Dalton's performance was bad. Like I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, I don't like this at all. Yep. And then like very shortly after, my friend invited me to the screening at the El Capitan, the like uh, 20th anniversary. And um, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll rewatch that. And there was something about being in a theater that made, that sort of washed all that away where I was like, oh, this <laughs> is He's playing to that. He's being an insane person. And it kind of made me feel very differently about it. It was a weird sensation because I went from being like, eh, the movie's not as good as I thought to being like, this is way better than I expected. It was, I know that sounds a little crazy, but it was a different experience. And then I've seen it in a theater again recently. And the way the audience reacts to his lines and his performance is like, oh, okay, he's doing basically theater acting on film. And it changed my perception of it. Okay, I'm glad that's you. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the thing. Because I just rewatched it again this morning. It's not that Timothy Dalton was bad; he was so good above the rest of the. Like, there's a certain level to which, like Bill Campbell and and Jennifer Connelly, even Paul Servino, um, putting Alan Arkin aside because he's amazing. But uh, they all were all at like a certain threshold of acting. And he was, and Timothy Dalton being Timothy Dalton was above it. And I think that's why I used to think the same thing. And I was like, God, he's so over the top. Yeah. It's so much. But then you're like, wait a minute. It's actually, he's, he's out 
distancing the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. really. He, he did his own thing. He was yeah. like, ah, I'm going to do it. The thing that gets me that every time is when all of a sudden he has a German accent at the end. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, it's only for a second, too. I think he only does it for like one or two lines. And you're like, I, I don't understand. Why does he have a German accent now? It, it clearly feels like something that he did on set where he's like, I want to have a German accent. Yeah. And they're like, uh, sure, Timothy, whatever you want. Yeah. Or he'll but, only do it. I only do the, uh, this accent. All right, fine. Joe Johnson's yeah. like, this is my second movie. Yeah. His first one was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't know if you knew that. But, uh. <laughs> but I, you know, it's funny. The the style of acting, I think, is so, you know, with, with uh, Bill Campbell and Jennifer Connelly. And all, like, I think they fit the, the 40s. You know, when you mm-hmm. watch It's a Wonderful Life or something, there is a, oh, a yeah. texture to the way people's, people are acting or like White Christmas or, you know, any of those. I don't know why I'm only making Christmas movie references, but that's what <laughs> there's a heightened sense of how they're acting that mm-hmm. fits the era, which I don't think translates super well now. But it, it at the time I was just like, yeah, they nailed it. That's what that people acted a little strange. But that's the thing. That's the that's the imbalance that I see is the campiness of the pulpiness, of the, that acting where, yeah, like, of course, he's he's going to have the beautiful girl who's trying to be an actress and he's kind of all shucks. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly how I would describe that entire performance is, ah, shucks and yeah. gee whiz. But yeah. then it, it kind of, it certain parts of the movie, it moves and it, it becomes too realistic. And then it goes back to the fantasy and it, it pulls me in and out. And uh, I don't, I can't explain it. I can't pick up like a certain point or like even like, maybe not acting, but you know, the guy, like the gigantic guy who crushes the. Yeah. So he, All right, he's. He's not my favorite part of that. He looks not good. <laughs> I know. But when he gets on top of the Zeppelin and he, he belts himself in. Yeah. You know, like if this was full on pulp, if this was full on fantasy like an Indiana Jones, he wouldn't have locked himself in. You would, <laughs> you would have suspended your disbelief of how is he staying on top of this, this Zeppelin. But that you know sets I mean? it up for him not being know, able to I, escape. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. But they're fine some other ways his foot gets caught in a you know yeah they, totally. they tear the zeppelin and his foot gets caught or whatever but uh, he could have fallen through the zeppelin that would have been cool yeah but i this is also the thought of los angeles back then it's all orange fields and uh there's only so much hollywood and all the art deco yeah and neville sinclair's apartment with like the egyptian theme that's yeah that's what makes that movie so cool is that it's I think the sum of it, it's the pieces are greater than the sum of the parts. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, the, totally. The bits that's, and pieces I mean, that you pull out. That's what I kind of how I pitch the movie to people is I'm like, there is so much. It's almost like here's a really good. It's like a kit bashed movie. I would love to take so many of these pieces and do a remake. But like, there are certain things where it's like, all right, let's tone that down or let's get rid of that. But I think as far as how you adapt the comic book into them, because I love the comic mm-hmm. book, but I don't know if you've read it, but it yeah. is what is it is a difficult thing to translate to a film because Especially it doesn't, a Disney one. Yeah, it does yeah. not work in that way. Like that's why I was surprised they did the Disney Junior cartoon because the source material is very sexual and very violent and very, um, you know, very male driven. So it was mm-hmm. very strange. But anyway, um, the I think how they adapted, it's perfect because they took sort of the elements of the fun and the the beauty of the comics and made it safe for a general audience whereas yeah the comic book is you know it's some guy who really like pulp stuff and pin up and it's in there you know uh-huh. it's got a grittiness to it and there's like 
you know, Marco of Hollywood, this like seedy photographer taking nude photos of Betty Page. Like you can't include that in the movie. But I would love if someone, you know, I, I don't know if it if anyone would actually be able to do this or people would even have a palette for it. But to take this movie and remake it now, keeping it keeping the screenplay like 80 percent intact and just adding those little bits that sort of even it out because there's so much good in it. But yeah. it, it would be cool to see if they're gonna be like, all right, let's have another go at it. But my fear is if honestly, like not I, I, I highly doubt they'll ever make a sequel or a reboot, but you cannot set this movie now. I've heard a lot of rumors of like, we're going to do it modern, like his great, great granddaughter inherits it. Uh, There's nothing miraculous about a rocket pack in nope. 2020, you know, like the, we have it, you know, it only works in the thirties. Yeah, that's right. Even if it is a, a period piece, like if they even move it ahead, advance it 15, 20 years after world war two or something like that. Not the same. It's yeah. not. And even to, I would hate to see somebody take this thing and make it, a darker version of what it is. I think you're totally right with the 80% rule. Like it's keep it to what it is and keep the screenplay the same. Uh, maybe update the effects a little bit. Like the story itself is a solid story. Absolutely. The premise yeah. is a solid premise. It's just, I don't know. I guess it's your point. They ran out of money or whatever, but you could see where there were inconsistencies or where it didn't feel like it had all the, all the, it, it didn't have the full attention of either the studio or whoever was making it in specific pieces where you just go, wow, how was that scene so good? And then you go to this, you go to right. whatever, like everything with um, going back to inspiration, like the first 35 minutes of the movie when they have the plane and the plane crashes because of the whole, because of the whole shootout and then they get the rocket pack and then they try to figure out how to work it better. And then they find the name of the rocketeer. It's like, all of that is just such a cool, it just has a cool grasp on you. Yeah. And yeah, then absolutely. it's that opening kind of... shot with the music is insane. Yep. Seeing that in the theater again is like, it's magical. I mean, you get chills when they open that door and it says the Rocketeer. It's like, oh my God, I wish someone was making something even <laughs> half as good as this nowadays. Like, yeah. It has that, like we keep talking about nostalgia and that feeling of sentimentality. People are afraid to be sentimental in films and. I don't think games are, which is a weird tangent. I think that there's a lot of great storytelling going on with games and uh -huh. sentimental, uh, that value is, is still in there. But I think as far as movies go, they want, you know, Batman versus Superman and those sort of hard hitting, like this couldn't exist today. Yeah. Like even Captain America, as sentimental and great as that is, and it's the same director as Joe Johnston, still had that edge to it. You know, it still has that darkness that is like, ah, oh, come on, you could have gone full cheesy. Uh -huh. And I think as they got more comfortable with the character, they did on certain levels. But I, yeah, I don't know if you could do that today because it, it's just so pure of heart and sweet. I, I don't know. I, I actually think for what it is, I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a much darker movie. Yeah, and, I agree but, with that. Absolutely. But it was an, it was a, clever and classy way to go to dark because yeah. you're balancing I mean, all the these cartoons character has an orgasm like the you know <laughs> like the right. patty cake thing is insane as an adult you know it's like oh my god yep. but that because it's masked in innuendo you can get away with it whereas you couldn't you know you obviously couldn't do that in the rocketeer there's nothing to mask you know but yeah that is a super dark movie but i had to shake right. the weasels like that line is i didn't okay weird tangent my parents as a kid, they thought that was really funny when Jessica Rabbit's like, sorry, I'm late. I had to shake the weasels. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I asked my parents, I was like, what does that mean? That's obviously a joke. And they're like, oh, it means to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so when I was in seventh grade, my teacher was like, why are you late? And I go, sorry, I had to shake the weasels, not realizing <laughs> what it actually meant. And uh, I still to this day am mortified. <laughs> <laughs> or she, when uh, she says, uh, you have a rabbit in your pocket, or are you happy to see me? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. There's so much of that that works. God, that movie's perfect. That's I a think, really- uh, I think next time we we do Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think we just do um, the, the series of Disney Touchstone movies. From... movies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally I, down. I think it's funny how Touchstone was created just to show movies like that that are darker, but actually even darker than that, but uh, being able to kind of keep the Disney mystique. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this, but with The Rocketeer, and I might move this earlier into the conversation, the there was supposed to be a scene that was shot at MGM studios of the rocketeer where the rocketeer was flying over Grauman's Chinese theater and ginger Rogers was getting her handprints in the cement. And then everybody looked up and saw him. And then the guy doing the spotlight on ginger Rogers like panned up to the rocketeer and he was like, so in awe, he fell off the scaffolding and the rocketeer caught him and and landed his feet landed in the wet cement and then Sid Grauman like wrote the Rocketeer and that's why the Rocketeer's footprints are at Disney MGM Studios did you know that I did know it exists I have the tops cards and and pieces of that scene exist in the form of tops tops cards I would love if someone found that footage but there is proof of it existing yeah I I did not know that yeah, you could actually see uh, the tops card is like his footprints in the thing, and I think it's him flying past the theater. But uh, yeah, there is, uh, I think even there might be promotional stills from it, but it does exist in, in one form or another. I just don't know. I don't think anyone has the footage. I don't know what it is about The Rocketeer. It's one of those movies where you, if it's on, you stop and watch it. Yeah, If, if you're watching it on a DVD or Netflix or Disney+, Plus, you fast-forward through some of the parts. Like this morning, I fast-forwarded some of the parts <laughs> i was just like Ugh. that's how i am with temple of doom you know what i mean i'm oh, like yeah. god i love temple of doom but like i don't need to see the dinner scene again and like <laughs> i don't need to see the elephant scene again. like there's certain things where i'm like all right all right all right like let me get to the good stuff but um i don't know rocketeer to me is such a comfortable movie i know it's flawed and that's kind i think there's something about a flawed movie that's almost more attractive to me in a way where it's like oh my god if they just did this because mm-hmm. it's it's no longer just a film to me it's almost a project and I find that really exciting. Like the best gift anyone can give me is like something I can build. And I feel that way about movies too. Like I like breaking down, like I know this is blasphemy, but like the Haunted Mansion movie is <laughs> such a weird movie that I've watched it like a dozen times. I'm like, how could you have made this a great movie as opposed to this weird experience? Yeah. And like, I'm fascinated by that kind of storytelling. I think it has a lot to do with like, I watched a lot of mystery science theater as a kid yeah, me too. and watching bad movies makes me go like, wow, how would you fix this? How would you make this not bad? Okay. And uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Cut me off. Haunted Mansion is a great movie. It is a great movie. If you, if you tilt your head and you squint <laughs> a little bit. And what it's, I mean by that yeah. is forget Eddie Murphy and forget Jennifer Tilly. The rest of the movie, like the whole story is an amazing, amazing story. It's the, it's, it goes back to this Rocketeer problem. It's the campiness versus the reality. Yeah. And you could, you could have made that movie really dark and sinister, but, but not a horror movie. Right. Or you could make it a hardcore comedy. And I, I think they leaned a little bit towards 
the comedy because of Eddie Murphy and that's his natural, you know, that's what he does. Right. But you, then you sit there and you go, well, should I like it? Should I not like it? Should I like, does this part make sense? It doesn't make sense. I love the haunted mansion, but I can't stand Eddie Murphy and how he, his role in it and how it's <laughs> I enjoy it, him in it because I like, I'm just such a big Eddie Murphy fan that him just doing his thing. Like they got dead people in the backyard. Like just the way he delivers that line. I'm like, that's funny. It like, feels like two different movies to me. Like they came oh, together totally. and, yeah. or you know how, of course, you know, like how Will Smith or whomever, like they have their own writers you know, a script will come through. Is that a and then, thing? I actually didn't know that. They have a, that's yeah. funny. So they'll do, um, most of the top named talent in Hollywood, they'll get a script and they'll say yes to the script. But then someone who they, who works for them will go through and rewrite their lines to make it more on brand for the character. Ah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. That's why you, you get like a lot of, like Eddie Murphy or somebody like that. That's why when you, or Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big one for that. That's why huh. you, he has the, he's memorable. He's not memorable for the whole movie. Um, or he is, but the lines, because the lines are essentially reworked to fit more of what his brand is. That's an actual job. Wow. That's what it feels like for the haunted mansion is like, here's the script. And then Eddie Murphy's people got their hands on it. They're like, Oh, you got to write the chuckle in here. You got to write this one liner in here and, and all that stuff. And so then they, you know, go back and forth with the director to make sure it's not, it still fits the theme of the movie and, and all of that. It's still respectful to the movie. Right, right, right. So right. it feels like that's what happened is like he got a script. He's like, I'll do it. And then gave it to his people and then they rewrote it and it made it just too goofy for me. <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah. I mean, it's a I, that's why I have such a weird it's such a project movie. I'm watching it going, God, how could they have made this a really great movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's an interesting idea taking a family and having them go to the haunted mansion. Like, it's like, okay, that's an honest attempt, but like just so I, I can't stand his wife. I, I, it was just such a terrible thing to say, but like her performance to me is so un is so unbearable and so difficult to watch. And she, I know she's British in real life. So uh-huh. her accent to me is just too nasally and too weird. She's like, Oh, Ramsley. Like she sounds like olive oil. And yep. So she's a bit of a, so much of that movie hinges on her performance and her sort of like interest in what's going on. And there's a lot of things that are just so not believable. Like I really like the guy who played Master Gracie. He's spooky and doesn't, I don't know him from anything else. So he's got this otherworldly quality Mm -hmm. to him. But the realism of how is she okay with this creep with like a cravat being like, (laughs) you know, grabbing her hands and like staring into her eyes and like yelling at her. It's like, this is weird. Like there's so many things that are just illogical to me, but I, I think the kids are kind of cute. Like I think, I, I think their performances are all right. It's a bit weird and very Disney channel-y, but I think honestly, this movie would have been great as an ABC, like Friday night movie, like the tower of terror <laughs> movie. Steve is Gutenberg. Garbage. Good to say yeah, the exactly. Same thing, the Steve Gutenberg one, but let's not forget the whole movie is underlying racism. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking? Ramsley, Ramsley didn't want those two to get oh, married because they yes, weren't of the right. same blood. The whole story is oh, racism. Right. The whole thing. I was like, at the end, I'm it's, like, did anyone not just see the blatant story about why, why this came so, to be? He, he killed yeah, her. Yeah, I forgot she was, about that. Unless we're supposed to Ugh. look past that, like unless we're not supposed I, to look I at. I think what they're they're trying to say is that they're from like different families. Yeah, I think I, that's no, kind I know. of the way that 
<laughs> but it, it is it, that's right. It's very apparent that it's like, oh, it's weird. Yeah. I it's hope I didn't just weird. blow up everybody's like, how did you do that? But I literally no, no, like... no. It is there. I think I blocked <laughs> it out of my head because I don't want to believe it because it is so, so, so strange. And then. Uh, the opening of that movie is kind of cool too. I like the yeah. the welcome foolish more. The, the, it's very beautifully shot. Like there's so much about it that's charming. That's and it, what I'm it's, saying. The part where they're following the orb and the music there through the house is like, oh man, this yeah. is really cool. But then you get a shot like Eddie Murphy spinning in a chair, and and it's like, <laughs> what is this? That's right. But um, and it's even like, I didn't even want it to be as true to the ride as it as you wanted it to be like, Oh, they, you know, they didn't go into the stretching room. Or, How do you even do I didn't even think about, you know, that. like what is, yeah. But the, the campiness versus the, the serious part. That's when I was like, why? why? Because it really is a great movie. If you can just muscle it down, like if you can just, the, <laughs> if you're like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll not forget about that part or the blatant racism or anything like that. But, you're right. Like the crypt scenes, like when when they all come to life and he's going to the water. Kind of fun. Me too. I think yeah, it's the, awesome. The special effects look amazing. Like I love the makeup and honestly, one of my favorite jokes in that whole thing is the busts. I think look awesome. Like the animation for them look great. Like you can tell they're CG, but they move like uh, stop motion. But then they put that's the really busts, cool. They put them in the car with Leota. Do not understand that. Like, that is a weird way to just. Ed- they were like, <laughs> "How do we end the movie? Like, what if they took the bus?" Why would they take the bus? How annoying is that? I know. It's just. Uh, it's an illogical, crazy experience. I yeah. think if that movie also came out early 90s, we'd all look back on it in the way we look back on like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or something. We'd be like, yeah, that was a charming, weird experience. But because Maybe, it came yeah. out when it did, everyone's like, what the hell? Like the Country Bears movie, which oh, yeah. I have not seen and will not see. But uh, that was a weird era for movies. The only reason I watched that movie, and we're going to jump to that quickly, is... It was <laughs> primarily filmed at Golden Golden Oak Ranch. Golden Acre Ranch. Do you know what that is? Is that where they shot Hey Dude? I don't know. That sounds familiar. <laughs> no, that's in Arizona. Come on, <laughs> man. Golden Oak Ranch. Uh, Golden, Golden Oak Ranch is a farm that Disney owns just outside of L.A. That's Peabody's Barn from Back to the Future. Oh, that's awesome. So if you go to the website... They um they still do filming there and they have Country Bear Hall, the the playhouse that was used in the movie. That's still a set that you can use. That's a total deviation from what we're talking about, but No, that's I'm glad I know that. That because, movie I remember when it came out, I was like, This makes me uncomfortable. Like when I first saw the Jim Carrey Grinch, I was like or the the Mike Myers cat in the hat, I was like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> it's terrifying. You can't replicate Pirates of the Caribbean. Not even Pirates of the Caribbean could replicate Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, absolutely. They like they did the it. Cliff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, The Rocketeer. (laughs) Yes, yeah. We went on a huge (laughs) tangent. I've burned a lot of bridges with Touchstone. Uh, Go on. (laughs) Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful movie. It's it's one of those rainy day movies or late at night movies where you just want to suspend disbelief a little bit because it just – it's not even just the the story. Like we love the story and we love the production, but it's also that era of Disney. That was like when – Eisner was on set every day, every movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Eisner's like, nah, he should fly in from the left. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, Eisner gets a lot of crap, but he did so no. much good stuff. Like, I think people look at a lot of the stuff he did at the end of his career. And, like, I watch a lot of YouTube channels where people are like, ah, oh, screw Eisner. And I don't fully understand why. Me I mean, too. maybe because I only look at the stuff he's done that was good. But 
He did so many cool things. I mean, MGM is his baby, right? Am I crazy? Like, isn't that from him? That is totally him. The great moments in the movie is supposed to be at Epcot. And then he said, why don't you guys just build a park around the ride? And I was like, this man should be my father. Yeah, it's great. He's he came up with so many wonderful things. And yeah, I mean, Rocketeer is a very flawed movie in the way that, you know, a lot of movies I love are. But there's so much about it that I'm constantly recommending it to people because there's nothing like it. And it feels nice to have something that's that optimistic and especially now, you know, like mm-hmm. to have something that's like, yeah, you know, if you put your mind to it, you mind to it, you could do anything and you could just sort of punch your way through life and i like the simplicity of that you know i like the fun campiness yeah. and alan arkin is brilliant he's so in that good. movie he's so yeah good. he's he's untouchably great in that film like yeah but even like uh that's what i love is like he's he does such a good job but then like the guys who play the fbi agents and they're like we're gonna fill you full of lead see you know like it, oh, I love it. They're so bad. It's They're so like so campy and cheesy. You yeah. Go. But that's the kind of thing where I'm like, all right, this this helps me set the stage that this is a completely fantic fantasy. Fantic <laughs> fanti castle. A fantic a fantastic fantasy. That yeah. Y- y- what you're about to watch is going to be uh, is not going to ever come to fruition. It's never going to be a real thing. Yeah. But then there are these pieces and you're just like, ah, stop trying to pull me back in. Don't do this. Or, <laughs> But uh, really quickly, another thing is uh, I have an Eisner story. When I was, um, I don't know, 19, I don't know, probably 91, my sister had left the studios uh, at the college program and she got a job at the Disney studios in Burbank. She was doing uh, press and marketing for um, Buena Vista Television. So Golden Girls, Empty Nest, uh nurses stuff like that and she worked on the lot and we went to lunch at the commissary and this is back when like nobody off the street could tour the studios that i know of and we saw uh michael eisner and i think it was jeffrey katz or not jeffrey katzenberg but um uh died in the plane crash frank wells oh wow yeah but i didn't I didn't know who either of them were at the time. They just walked right by us and she's like, Oh, hi, Mike, Michael. And he's like, Oh, hi. You know, the name tags on. So he's like, Oh, hi, Missy. And she's like, that was Michael Eisner. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was was like, Oh my gosh. So then I go back to the studios years later when Disney is my client for advertising. Like you see like Walt's office and all that stuff. And here's Eisner's office. And I was like, Oh, I remember now I remember running into him at the commissary. Like who has those stories? Yeah. That's crazy. That's amazing. I, This guy that I know worked at, um, I can't remember what the hell he was doing. He, he was working at uh, MGM Studio. Actually, you should interview this dude. He, uh, he used to work at MGM on the day, the day it opened. Sorry, my brain just completely farted. Um, worked there opening day and like ran into like all the people that worked on the Muppets and like Lisa Henson and stuff. Really? And they were like, hey, just why don't you come work for the Muppets? And like he got into being a Muppeteer through just being at MGM, like working wow. on, at one of the restaurants or something. And they were like, yeah, just come hang out on set. They were like shooting one of the Muppet movies there. I'm butchering the story, but the stories he was telling me, I was just like, oh my God, like what are the odds? And it's all through just being a cast member there God, as I like, this. I love those yeah. stories. I it's love kind MGM of like the so Spielberg story where it's like, he oh, just man. snuck onto the lot. That's it was right. that kind of thing where he was just curious, uh-huh. you know, and it, it evolved into a career basically. That's such a, Oh, you don't hear about things like that happening at Epcot. You've seen all the Guardians of Galaxy stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen the development, yeah, in, in uh, Ellen's 
universe of energy. Yeah. Yeah. So I just ran all these races that go through Epcot last January. And, uh, one of the, actually all the courses took us backstage and took us right, uh, right in between journey, right in between universe of energy and that new show building. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That building is massive. It's, it's like the biggest soundstage I've ever seen in my life. Like I couldn't even comprehend the size of this thing. It's just this massive orb, this massive thing. And I can't wait to see what's in it. Amazing. Yeah. I'm very, I'm, you know, it's always tough for new IP to be like, Oh my God, you plowed over this thing that we're all very nostalgic for, which is highly, highly outdated. But you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what that becomes. Yeah. I wish it wasn't guardians of the galaxy. I wish it was something new. That was more I, I do too Epcot. because they already have it. You know, it's like we have like we have a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy already. I feel like like mm-hmm. let's, uh, but you know, it's a big thing and it's one of the only things they can use in Florida, so it it makes sense financially. It's like three rock and roller coaster show buildings big. I just wow. I couldn't Crazy. believe how big it is. So I just want to see what they have in there because it can't just be roller coaster track. It's got to be. Is it is it actually a roller coaster or yeah. is it more? Uh, Oh, interesting. I think it's like um, like the the Potter Escape from Gringotts type of thing. Like it's uh, so I won't be riding it, lest I hurl. <laughs> well, I know that was like, part of the reason they took away the 3D glasses. Did you hear about that? As people were just like vomiting streams all over the place because the <laughs> really? because the ride was too violent. Yeah. Well, so it's a ride that apparently makes you very ill, but yeah. adding 3D glasses heightened it. And so the idea of someone being on one of those mechanical you know, tech deck kind of hands and yeah. then just spraying vomit across an animatronic <laughs> is very comical to me. I would ride that ride and I would have to look down. Like I couldn't, I couldn't look at most of it because it was just yeah. so, I was that way with Star Wars, or with uh, Spider-Man too. Uh, Spider-Man makes me less sick, but it still makes me sick. I think because when I was younger, I wanted to ride it so bad. I kind of forced myself to be okay with it, but it still makes me kind of messed up but i know i couldn't do the harry potter one yeah i can't do those i do want to do the um hagrid's thing that looks killer that one just looks so bad as far as roller coasters go that looks like a pretty straightforward roller coaster i've seen i've watched ride throughs of that too and it looks like a, uh, the animatronics look great and uh yeah i love the big hagrid like it's such a funny what a funny animatronic i haven't want i haven't seen that i have to look through it I, that's one of the ones i've been waiting to see but uh like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, I finally watched. I kind of wish I didn't. It was fine. It was oh, fine. yeah. That was, that was the other thing we we're going to talk about is I have not, I, you know, it's tough anytime something, you love something so much. You know, like the great movie ride means so much to both of us. And then, and it doesn't matter what they put in there, you know, it, it, it it's still going to be like, you know, uh, like it, it has to still win me over. It looks like a fun, cute, experience but obviously as people who like practical things and uh-huh. like old hollywood we're the you know we're statler and waldorf you know like the old <laughs> <Right>. curmudgeons <laughs> are like i don't know about this but i don't know you know I, when i go there hopefully at some point i'll write it and hope, try to be optimistic but it is tough you know it's like someone replacing your parents or someone that you're so in love with it's like the idea of replacing it's insulting it doesn't matter what it is yeah it's like your best friend gets amnesia you know what yeah, I mean? It's exactly. Like some, there, yeah, but, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, we should totally do a podcast of Walder and Statler and just shit on everything. I think that would be so much fun. 
I would never work again. I got to be so careful with so many things. It's just like, you know, obviously I have opinions, but I don't, you know, the fear of someone yeah. taking something the wrong way or you never know. So, I, uh, yeah, but boy, would I. I think you're pretty safe. I think. Okay, good. I think there's some editable things that I, I can, I've done in today's broadcast, but. Oh, oh, good. Yeah. We'll see how far the Epcot story goes. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, all right, I'm gonna, we should wrap it up because I, I don't want to take up most of your day, and I know you have so many things to do in quarantine, just like the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, I know. I got to go eat a sandwich and watch uh, the, simple, the Simple Life with uh, Paris and uh, Nicole Richie. What a, what a romp. I never got to see that when it came out, and me and my girlfriend have been watching it, and we're like, this is hilarious. <sighs> Well, I think I'm going to go watch True Frame Roger Rabbit now. I think much better, much better choice. I, I'm in. We're at. We're basically eating like Doritos. Like it's just garbage for our mind because we're trying to take our minds off of what's going on in the world. Like, yeah. like friends of mine are like, you should watch Watchmen, and I started it, and I was like, this is too real and too good. I need to watch like people be stupid. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean. I um, <laughs> I am going to go. I think I'm just going to do 80s Touchstone movies from now on roger rabbit's next and then uh maybe newsies i think i'll do that one too oh newsies newsies is uh yeah great and and also weird a weirdly paced movie yep it (laughs) it's on paper it works uh oh yeah on film it's like cats (laughs) it didn't work it's it's very weird the song i can't get over christian bale's performance in the santa fe song is like I'm not really a singer. I'm not a professional. I don't know how that stuff works, but I know that he's not singing it right. Like the Santa Fe, like just sounds horrible to me. It, it doesn't work for me, but no, I love the movie. Sure. The, the, the King of New York song is untouchable. It's so good. It's what's another one of those movies. It's got inspiration to it under hard circumstances, down and down on your luck circumstances. There's something, you know, it's going to end up, yep. which is fine. Even though in real life it didn't, well, it kind of came out. Okay. But anyways, uh, anything right now, my man, that you want to plug that you're doing? Uh, I don't know. I'm just working on my little sculptures, my little spook sculptures. If people want to follow me on my Instagram to see those, it's, it's such those. a weird, well, thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I thank you just for seeing them. Um, I don't know. It's like at a, <laughs> I have an agent, uh, who was like, you should maybe change the name. Cause it was AJ spooks, but it, everyone kept saying, it looks <laughs> like it says AJ's poop. And I was like, that's the that's the joke. And then my agent was like, maybe you should put a little hyphen behind, between it. And I was like, all right, fine. But I think it's AJ's underscore spoops on Instagram is probably the only thing. But it's such a tiny little goofy thing that I do. I just make these little Halloween sculptures because what else am I going to do at four in the morning? So uh, I don't know. I'm sure I have things to plug that I'm completely forgetting. I've got my short spooky fresh that I'm working on for like two years, which mm-hmm. will hopefully eventually be done if my friends ever finish doing the post work. But We'll see. I don't know. I'll post it on the internet. It'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of footage, I know you and I have been talking about the great movie ride finale forever. Yes. Yes. I, I've been just racking my brain trying to find the original one, and no one has it until last week. My friend who was on the college program in 96, 95, she found a bunch of old VHS tapes, and it has the full finale on it. She just sent it out to get digitized. What? So that's it amazing. Is, it's coming. It's and that's going to be the only time ever on the internet it's going to be available because I have looked high and low and like even a, it, it, asking old cast yeah. members they don't have it. So, and it's a clean like non-filmed on a video version of it. It's a No, it's a VHS like her dad, you know, put the thing up. So it's 
it's not like source material, but still. Ah, uh, we got to get that source material. I don't even know if it exists anymore. I'm sure it doesn't. I know. Us. I'm sure it's on reels. Yeah. I, someone had taken um, the, did you see the Star Wars like Path of the Jedi? Yeah. Um, someone had taken all that footage and sunk it up, like basically took the clips and the music and made their own version of it. So it would be HD. I wish there was a way to do that with the great. I know people have. There's something called like the OK Movie Ride or something like that, or the Not So Great Movie. I don't know what it is. Where they tried to do that, uh-huh. but the music is is it was a custom orchestration, so you Ugh. can't quite do it. You can't take that exact soundtrack and because yeah. I tried at some point. I was that crazy where I was like, let me take these parts of this song and cut it together like they did, and then I realized, oh, these don't exist. Like yeah. this is a custom track. Yeah, some of the stuff but, was. Uh, um... Uh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, he did a lot of the filler music. Uh, I can't think of it. For most of it for Epcot, but he did it for the studios too. Oh, it's going to kill me. Oh, well, anyways. <laughs> All right, dude, I'm going to let you go. It's been a long but fruitful conversation as always. I hope everybody enjoyed just two dudes just absolutely talking about nothing. Talking about nothing. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I had a lot of fun. I'm happy to come back anytime. Yeah, well, we sh- I... I hope we can make this a regular thing because it's just, I think there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, anyways, so for everyone else, always catch me at WDWTales on Twitter, WDWTales.com. AJPoops.com, apparently, is uh, actually, don't go there. Or is it AJ? I think it's AJS underscore spoops. You know, I don't know. You don't need to follow me. I don't care. <laughs> I was just trying to think of something to plug. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a be safe, be well. Uh, scary you times. Too. So I'm. Gl- I hope we brought a little levity to people's day, yeah. other than the Epcot story. Yeah, I'm cutting it out. Sorry, people are now going to hear this. Yeah, you like, should cut that. They're going to go. What Epcot story is he talking about? The darkest one. <laughs> Can you believe that? Oh my god. Oh, uh, that was some dark stuff. Yep. Yeah, totally. I'll never know. All right. Well, thanks again, AJ. Always a pleasure. Really, anytime you want to talk. I've literally been working from home since March because everything's closed. So I've got plenty of time. Yep. Yep. Same here. All right, dude. All right. Do your sign off and I'll tell you my real opinions about things. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.